0: Hello, and welcome to the Weekly Artifact. This is a tri-weekly podcast created by two friends who met in an undergrad, and against all odds, decided to keep talking to each other. I'm your host, Alex, who, in 2014, was, quote, the only white person my co-host ever known to have watched the Boondock Animated Series.
1: I'm Justin. The internet moves fast. The hot takes of today are less than a distant memory by tomorrow. We're here to slow down and recover the content that's been lost along the way in order to make sense of where the world was. Where it is and where it will be. To that end, we've each chosen an artifact from the web to discuss together.
0: Our comments are our own and are not associated with any institution. The show may contain explicit language or themes, so we'll see the show notes for specific content warnings. Justin, what's your artifact for the week?
1: So my artifact, uh, which I have to say has the uh, distinction of being the oldest artifact. Stop
0: doing this going to make me go harder.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm already so bad at picking
0: artifacts, <laughs> god damn it. <laughs>
1: this has the distinction of being the oldest artifact to date. So, my artifact is I Won't Vote by WEB Du Bois and it came out in 1956. Uh, so it was about the uh, the election in that year. Which I will say off the bat. So I mean, Du Bois lived to be super old. In nineteen fifty six, he was actually. I was gonna say, I was like, "Holy shit!" Yeah, in nineteen fifty six, he was actually already eighty eight years old when he when he wrote this. But but so he says, but he says, for his whole life up to that point, uh, he'd been voting uh, third party if the main parties were unsatisfactory or voting lesser of two evils. But, you know, always paying attention to basically how the candidates thought, what they thought of black people was sort of his barometer. And then he sort of talks about some of his different decisions and why he made them. He talks also about sort of, you know, just being the disenfranchisement of black people, especially in the South. And how ser- sometimes it would be easier or harder for him to vote. Yeah, so he talks about... Basically, what he sort building up to, he starts giving critiques of democracy and he's sort of suggesting that uh, democracy doesn't really exist in America necessarily. So he says, In 1956, I shall not go to the polls. I've not registered. I believe that democracy has so far disappeared in the United States that no two evils exist. There is but one evil party with two names and will be elected despite all I can do or say. And he sort of talks about some. Reasons why he sort of thinks that is. And I think one important thing to remember is that this is sort of at the uh, tail end of the Red Scare, McCarthyism, um, and so he sort of talks about how anyone who sort of is, you know, advocating for too significant of reform is going to be labeled a communist and, you know, at this time could even end up in jail because of that. I mean, Du Bois himself had some. Uh, personal experience with that, which I'll talk about afterward. And he sort of talks about the issue of money in politics, and but he just talks about how much it costs to elect a senator and presidents. and says this money comes from the very corporations which today are the government. This, in a real democracy, would be enough to turn the party responsible out of power. Yet this we cannot do. And he. Talks about so the uh, 1956 election was between Adlai Stevenson and Dwight Eisenhower. And um, so he sort of talks about their positions and basically suggesting that they don't actually differ that much. He does have a, one quote where he says, He says, even in domestic affairs, how does Stevenson differ from Eisenhower? uses better English than Dullies, thank God, which I think uh, Dulles is John Foster Dulles, who was Secretary of State under Eisenhower, which is just kind of funny because uh-huh. we still sort of talk about how presidents <laughs> can or can't speak. Um, yeah. So, yeah, he has a quote here. He says, I have no advice for others in this election. Are you voting Democratic? Well and good. All I ask is why. Are you voting for Eisenhower and his smooth team of bright ghostwriters? Again, Why? Will your helpless vote either way support or restore democracy to America? He also talks about how he sort of sees his position as being a more hopeful one. He says, It is hoped that $25 voters refrained from voting in 1956 because of their own accord, and not because of a sly wink from Khrushchev. This might make the American people ask how much longer this dumb farce can proceed without even a whimper of protest, uh, which is a... a a, a good quote for a couple of reasons, but also because uh, just the idea of Russian interference on the left again, mm-hmm. we, can sort of, <laughs> we can talk about more. I don't mean to get into too much analysis here. And he gets a little bit get off my lawn sort of towards the end. <laughs> but then <laughs> basically, yeah, just basically saying in the concluding paragraph that, you know, whoever you vote for will make no difference, he says. Uh, stop yelling about a democracy we do not have. And then the final quote or final line of the article, man, again, we can hold a fair election on real issues. Let's vote. And not till then. Is this impossible? Then democracy in America is impossible. So that's the artifact. Again, I always recommend reading them for yourselves. Yeah, so I think, well, you know, by the time this episode comes out, you know, well, we'll, well it maybe it will be election season again when this episode comes out, but, but oh, at the time of recording, uh, we're still sort of, I, I want to say the election has just ended, but maybe that's a little bit too optimistic. The election's been called uh, within the last week. <laughs> I was when recording this, and so actually, we'll. We won't. Yeah, uh, Alex's artifact was also election related, so we'll try and restrict our conversation a little bit more too. This, oh, so yeah, this the the, the earlier context of the, the other ones obviously a little bit later than this one. So yeah, I thought there was a bunch of stuff that was interesting about this one. Um, you know, obviously we could talk about the overall argument of whether or not it makes sense to vote and sort of in what situations it makes sense to vote. Um, I did a lot of sort of historical looking into some of the, these things. It is, uh, so this election, like I guess it was between Adlai Stevenson and Dwight Eisenhower. Eisenhower was the incumbent at this point, which actually this was, uh, they also ran against each other in 52. There's, interesting i don't think you would really see that anymore a candidate who just lost going it would be like if it's basically like if hillary clinton was the nominee for the democrats again in 2020 like that's fucking (laughs) (laughs) imagine but yeah it's interesting this election also feels like sort of a good one to sort of if you're gonna argue that elections don't really matter just because i mean Yeah, I'm sure, like, I'm not, like, a historian of this period per se, but I think probably the most significant thing that comes out of Eisenhower's second term is the Little Rock Nine, where Eisenhower sort of authorizes the National Guard to uh, basically enforce Brown uh, versus Board of Education to allow African Americans into integrated schools. And from what I could... Look up uh, Stevenson actually also said he supported the Brown decision, where and Eisenhower actually didn't express support for it. Although Stevenson would not commit to basically, he wouldn't he wouldn't commit to like spending any federal money on it. But point being, it seems like that was probably like the one thing where we could say, well, maybe who was in whoever was in the office might have depended. Although it sort of seems like Stevenson was leaning the same way that Eisenhower ultimately ended up going there. But mm-hmm. I don't think we really think about the Eisenhower presidency as necessarily like, you know, if Stevenson had won, I, I don't really think we would be in in a radically different position than we are, are now. So I think, cause I, well, I, yeah, I guess I'm sure previewing, I think I'm, I might, and I'm, I'll be curious which way you go, but I might go slightly the opposite way when we get to your artifact. But as I've been, I've been talking too long. I have, I have more to say, well, i let you jump in here.
0: Well, when I was reading it, I like, because he was hitting all these, like, hard notes you were sort of, like, saying as you read through, like, these, like, sort of repeated things that apparently they've been talking about for since at least fucking 56, but like, the only line that this dude was missing that, like, he literally, the boys don't miss, but the only thing that he was missing was at some point being told that this is the most important election of his his life every four years it's the only <laughs> yes. only key point that i needed to just fully get like the full house like flush royal flush fucking perfect hand of uh, absolute sniper
1: <laughs> shot from half a century ago <laughs> yeah i mean it really is kind of incredible how much uh of the talking points from back during this time are still very alive and well and i think Part of it is, I think, just because we haven't fully escaped the Red Scare, even though, you know, uh, officially oh, yeah. it sort of ended. I think a lot of the, especially that one paragraph where he's talking about sort of being labeled a communist. So, I mean, just for background Du Bois, I don't give, I'm not a Du Bois scholar per se. I, uh, some of what I do sort of uh privies me to at least some aspects of his life but but not necessarily this part of his life but yeah i mean Du Bois basically um over the course of his life sort of moves further to the left you can say uh becomes starts embracing sort of marxist or communist ideas more um towards the end of his life he's talking more explicitly about socialism and things like that there's even a um a recording of his actual voice where he's talking about socialism. And so when he hasn't mentioned this article, but he, I mean, he's talking about how, you know, you can be labeled a communist and stuff. And so he was part of a, a group that basically was put on trial for, they accused them of being, okay. They basically accused them of being an agent of a foreign state, but not registering as such. And eventually, the case got dismissed, uh, so nothing. He didn't get arrested or anything. Although, obviously, you know he could have been. Plenty of people were, mm-hmm. but uh, but he did get his passport. They they took his passport. They revoked it for eight years. After he got back, he ended up going to Ghana, where he uh, died and is buried.
0: Uh, just like the idea he mentions that like seventeen states in 1952 had a socialist party on the ballot. For the president, I was like, "That seems even radical to today, considering how much fucking flack and bullshit Bernie got <laughs> just for like claiming to be a democratic socialist." And they're just like, "Yeah, you can just vote socialist, dude." Like, what the fuck? What a time to be alive in the middle of Vietnam. <laughs> the good old days.
1: Mm-hmm. So he ran. So in 1950, when he was 82, he ran for sander in New York on the American Labor ticket, and then in. 1961 uh, which is just a few years before he dies oh sorry he died in ni- he dies in 1963 so there's two years before he dies is when he okay yeah he joins the communist party in 1961 and he's 93 years old which is obviously after this article comes out um so so yeah so uh-huh. he was so point being he was uh, sort of involved in all that stuff so he's sort of speaking from from experience when he's talking about that and i think uh some of the rhetoric has shifted a little bit, but I think the sentiments are all still there of, you know, I think now it sort of just gets labeled as like being you a know, radical leftist or whatever. I mean, I think you still get some, well, I feel like mostly like obscure, more obscure Republicans will will still frame it as communism, but like, you know, if you watch the Trump. Biden debates Trump would always just talk about Trump would always just talk about the radical left and, and stuff like that and sometimes he'll talk about socialism um, so we, I don't think we really see it framed necessarily as communism in those explicit words but, but yeah I mean it's like anything that's you know he talks about he says uh, anything he advocates by way of significant reform will be called communist and will of necessity be communist in the sense that must advocate such things as government ownership of the means of production Government and business, the limitation of private pro, uh, private profit, social medicine, government housing, and federal aid to education, uh, the total abolition of race bias, and the welfare state. I mean, if you look at the stuff that gets labeled radical left, it's like Black Lives Matter. He talks about the abolition of race bias. You uh, Medicare for all. He talks about social medicine. He talks, about, you know, just anything basically. Government sort of uh, either ownership or regulation of of business you know all, i mean that stuff some of that stuff is like more explicitly uh communist or socialist or whatever you want to say than than others but all of that is still the same exact stuff that's, get, that's getting dismissed as being uh, too far to the left and you know if you support it then you're again like literally like an agent of russia they just changed it from Khrushchev right. to putin <laughs> <laughs> right Like you've been saying, like I've been saying, it's just alarming
0: how much of it's been, like, just, like, more of the same bullshit. And, like, lo and behold, just as it's a problem in 2020, it seems it was a problem in 2000 as well.
1: Yeah, you sort of mentioned how there was, like, you could vote for socialists then. Mm
0: -hmm. He does
1: talk about, uh, towards the beginning, how sometimes there is no third party option, which, uh, actually, the state I'm in, um, the Green Party was not... On the ballot, although... I, uh, was the Libertarian Party on? The Libertarian Party was on, yes. Um, oh. So, because I, I know in some states, and I don't know if this is in my state, but I know in some states the Democrats, like, fought to get the Green Party off uh, the ballot, uh-huh. basically. But I know... But some states, I know they were... you. I mean, you could always write them in. And I know right. from just stuff that they were posting on social media, there were some states where they were... I guess they're always... Appears right in the states again, not totally sure. The point is that, uh, yeah, so it's interesting how there's still sometimes no third party, and he's talking about that back then. And we could sort of see the lengths to which the certain parties would go to get other parties removed as well, which is, you know, uh, something we'll talk about in your artifact as well. Yeah, I mean, I think the point about money and politics was also an important point. Yeah, I, I think I've just been thinking a lot since our own election of how much, not even necessarily like money funding the politicians even, but also just thinking about the money that goes into convincing people who to vote for. Like, I just, I just mm-hmm. think that, you know, like, there, you know, if if I see, if I have, you know some know someone who's like a Trump supporter on, on social media or whatever, and I try and like figure out, okay, like, why is this person a Trump supporter? Like, look at the stuff that they're sharing. It's like from... Breitbart or whatever and it's like if you look at who's <laughs> funding that it's like okay this person has like like Breitbart's funded by Robert Mercer who's just like a hedge fund like a you know, hedge fund owner who's I mean he also is like racist but you know but obviously he's going to be promoting you know stuff that he feels like is going to make him money or whatever so I mean that's how yeah. you end up with, you know I, I think if people thought a little bit more about how money is influencing politics in like a variety of ways uh, that could be helpful. And I'm not even like, yeah, it's like Breitbart too, but even like, you know, look at who's funding CNN, Fox, MSNBC, like, I think it tells you a lot about, you know, what policies they will sort of frame as being acceptable. Okay. Two, two last points here. I do, I do, I sort of mentioned it, but I do like how he frames not voting as something hopeful. I think there's. A lot of sentiment around not voting that sort of frames it as being nihilistic or whatever. But I do think there's something to it of you know I, you're sort of holding out that you know we we can we we can get better options than this. We shouldn't settle. I think that's mm-hmm. a good point to keep in mind. And then last point, I really like the where he sort of leaves off by sort of saying you know if we can't hold out for better options. Then we really don't have democracy worth speaking uh-huh. about, which I think is true. I mean, if we're at the point where it's like you have to vote for one of these two people, even though you don't like them, you know, in what meaningful way is that really democracy? Which, you know, I, love, I mean, some people, you know, don't really like democracy. And I'm not even necessarily just talking about the, uh, People who think Trump won the election, like obviously they don't like democracy either. But I mean, there are people who are like, you know, we'll say democracy just doesn't work in practice or whatever. But, you know, if you do think of yourself as someone who supports democracy, I think it's worth considering what that really means, what that should look like. So I I sort of like him leaving off there as well. Mm -hmm. I will. That's all I have to say about it.
0: I think you uh, covered it well. So my artifact is
1: this may be the second oldest artifact. I think I think so, yeah. I don't think we have anything else that's from the twentieth right. century, so from the uh,
0: the the article is the two thousand elections. The Green Party, angry Democrats fearing Nader costs in the election race, threatened to retaliate by James was that Dow Dale? I'm gonna say Dow. By James Dow, uh written on November ninth, two thousand, so fresh off the election. Um by published by the not yet failing new york times <laughs> i'm just sort of starting the first like sort of just reading the first like paragraph liberal democrats today angrily threatened retribution against ralph nader and his green party allies and vice president al gore was declared the loser in the too close to call presidential election nader won just three percent of the nationwide vote but his total in the closely contested states of florida oregon and new hampshire were well above the margins there between mr gore and governor george w bush Pre election polling around the country had found that if Mr. Nader were not in the race, perhaps half his supporters would back Mr. Gore. Others said they did not know what they would do in the event of a Naderless race, though some said they would vote Mr. Bush. And so the articles on say, with the race hanging in the balance today, as ballots are counted in Oregon, recounted or in Florida, and studied in New Hampshire, where Mr. Bush was already declared the winner, staunch Democrats and their liberal allies attacked Mr. Nader for having refused. The bow of the race weeks ago, and regardless of the outcome, they said Mr. Nader's one stellar reputation amongst liberals has been permanently tarnished. His ability to raise money and to work with Democrats forever damaged. And taking a quote from uh, presidential elect Joseph R. Biden Jr., uh, then senator of Delaware, echoes the sentiment of several other Democrats on Capitol Hill, saying, quote, Ralph Nader is not going to be welcome anywhere near the corridors. Nader us Nader cost us the election. Other Democrats argued that if Mr. Bush won the election, Nader would be held responsible for jeopardizing the well-being of gays and lesbians, and minorities and the poor women and organized labor. Quote, because of him and his activities, there is a possibility that the people we represent can be harmed, can be hurt, and that our agenda that we fought for may not take place, said Gerald McGuinty, president of the American Federation. Of state, county, and municipal employees, and chairman of the AFL CIO Political Committee. However, sort of pushing back at a news conference in Washington, uh, Nader argued that Democrats in Congress might actually be more effective with the Republican in the White House calling President Clinton a quote, snake charmer who had weakened the resolve. And he asserted that he was not worried about threats of retribution because, quote, citizen groups in the country have been shut out already by a Democratic administration that, he said, cared more about campaign fundraising than progressive causes. Quote, I don't think people have realized how much ground has been lost by citizen groups in the last 20 years, Nader said. Nader uh, can sort of reaffirms that, saying, quote, even if the Democratic Party returned to its roots, it needs a progressive third party to make sure it stays there. He said it's like an insurance policy. However, the article says that Democratic congressional candidates have already begun feeling the impact of the Green Party, which Nader was representing at the time. Deb Callahan was president of the League of Conservation Voters, which is an environmental group that endorsed Mr. Gore, and argued that the Green Party candidates had siphoned off enough Democratic votes to help elect Republicans in at least three House races on Tuesday. Quoting uh, Ms. Callahan, Clearly, there were some races where strong environmental candidates were threatened or even defeated because of the Green candidate, because of a Green candidate that's not—that's just not acceptable. And several Democrats said today that they were expecting many life, they were expecting many longtime financial supporters of Mr. Nader to cut off their contributions to organizations with which he was affiliated. Closing out the article, the author writes, Mr. Nader's campaign also seems to have caused squabbling within the Green movement itself, an Oregon-based group called Greens for Gore, whose members included a founding member of the Green Party issued a blistering statement today accusing Mr. Nader of running a, quote, reckless, irresponsible, and totally counterproductive campaign. Campaign. And Judy McCastro, a Seattle city councilwoman with both Green and Democratic ties, said she, said she had scrapped plans to try to mediate peace talks between the two in Washington. I am too angry and disgusted, Ms. McCastro said. I know I don't have it in me to be big enough to forgive Nader right now. And that's sort of the end of the article. And there's, like, of like Justin's, there's a lot of things that sort of we see nowadays that we saw back then, we see 20 years ago. Um, some of the things to talk about, you know, before I give the floor to Justin, just topics that I'd like sort of saw my interest were sort of the, <laughs> the infighting even between sort of more left-leaning groups that we sort of see even maybe more on social media. The idea of third-party votes costing a candidate or that blaming the third party for when uh, one of the two main party tickets loses. And sort of the backlash and the sort of uh, demonizing that the third party candidates get from the main, one of the two major parties that they're sort of more closely affiliated with, you know, in the sense here being Green Party with the Democrats and on the other side, Libertarians with the more conservative and the Republican Party. But I'll sort of let Justin say what he's thinking first and we'll sort of talk it through. Shout out to Joe Biden. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah i feel like this is shout out to daddy biden i think like this is sort of like the uh brianna joy gray article from the other week in that it is like i mean the timing on this is a little bit more spaced out but uh but in the sense that i brought up someone that wasn't necessarily as relevant at the time but that is now mm-hmm. relevant in the moment but um yeah i don't know there's a bunch of stuff that uh jumped out i I think maybe I'll just start with my biggest point from the article, which is just that there's this weird cognitive dissonance, maybe. I don't know if that's quite the right word, but where it's like all these Democrats are like, you know, it's unacceptable that Nader didn't drop out. Like we're not going to get our policies now, blah, blah. But there's no like explanation for why. Like if it's so unacceptable, why didn't Gore drop out? That was the thing that kept like striking me. It's mm-hmm. like it's like you're saying. I mean, I could see. Like, I'm not saying that Gore should have dropped out, but I'm saying like you can't say this is unacceptable, but then also be like, but we also enabled it by not dropping <laughs> out either. Right. It's like you can't like. If, it, if that was such a bad outcome that you should have done something extreme and dropped out, obviously you didn't care that much, or like, because you still, right. like, you, if you thought it was going to happen, you did nothing to stop it, then how much did you, well, I'm not really going to drop out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just this sense of entitlement where it's like, well, you know, we're the Democrats. I mean, you, and again, you could say, like, well, you know, they had the better polling numbers. It wouldn't make sense for the person that's polling higher to drop out or whatever. Like, that's fine to an extent but there's just no there's no in you know self-reflection to be like you know we also are sort of enabling this by like the votes for gore are sorry the votes for nader are just as valid as the votes for gore like that's not something that crosses their mind
0: and i think to that extent too i mean they say that they like i don't know who like they did some polling around like who nader supporters would have voted for instead like Perhaps, perhaps half the supporters would have backed Gore. Others say they didn't know what they'd do, and the, some, though some said they would vote for Mr. Bush. You would assume, I mean, I don't know, but like it's just as likely that a Gore voter would vote Nader as a Nader voter would vote Gore, anyways. It's not like <laughs> we don't have like this like sealed-in deal. They're clearly voting third party for a reason, whether they agree with Nader the most or they don't like either person.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was the other big assumption too, which I think is one that we still see to this day, obviously, where it's just this assumption that there, any Green Party voter is someone who would otherwise vote Democrat, I guess, which, I mean, it, just, it just doesn't really make any sense. Because, I mean, A, I mean, like, the polling doesn't bear that out here. You see, I mean, if only half voted for Gore, I'm not even sure that would put him over the top. But, but especially right. if the other half voted for Bush, which, I mean, not saying that they would or not, I mean, some of them are just going to stay home, probably. But, uh, um, right. cause, yeah, there's a sense that's like, yeah, obviously they were going to come out and vote no matter what. And obviously they were going to vote for who, whatever candidate was on the ballot that was furthest to the left. But it's like none of that is, there's no evidence to support those assumptions, like either of those assumptions. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, you just, you're, you never really know what is motivating a voter. Like, I keep, I keep telling people, like, Half the people who, no, I'm just making up a number, but half the people that voted for Trump did because they thought he was secretly arresting pedophiles. Like, you know, you right. can't draw like a, a straight line to be like, oh, they support him <laughs> for this policy reason or this is their politics. And that's what. like, no, like people have whatever weird reasons that, that they have to vote for someone. So you can't just be like, they all would have voted for Gore otherwise. I mean, it just, it makes as much sense as to say, that you that, to blame non-voters because if they had gone, they would have voted for Gore or something. Or to you could even blame Bush voters and be like, uh, they should have voted for Gore instead of Bush. Like, there's just you know.
0: He seems like someone I could get a beer with.
1: <laughs> I mean, anyone could vote for Gore, but just taking Nader off is not necessarily going to mean that Gore is going to win. I mean, to be fair, this article isn't as much blaming the voters as blaming Nader. Yes, yeah, so I, I I guess that was uh, sort of okay that they uh, were more going after Nader than the voters. Even though I'm still not really with that, but, uh, but I will right. I will give them I guess that some mild credit. They weren't fully failing yet. The New York Times is <laughs> still a little bit. Yeah, they were still. Uh, a couple, a couple of years away from uh, from there. Crosswords were still on point. <laughs> well,
0: I think just the point of saying that how much they like their vitriol towards uh, Nader, one of the quotes that I had skipped at first, but from Amy Isaacs, the National Director of the Americans for Democratic Action, his standing with us, his standing has been severely diminished by his actions. People basically view him as having been on a narcissistic self-serving sancho panza windmill windmill tilting exertion like it's just just like this dude with his thinking that we could be more left and have these ideals instead is a real fucking selfish prick fuck this dude (laughs) like there is something i guess maybe to being like running third party knowing sort of that can if you have a defeatist idea like ideology in the beginning then it is self-serving but like i mean if you legitimately think like hey man like these are important values that should be like given some amount of presentation and it's not like a narcissist trip it's like a hey somebody has to do it
1: Mm -hmm. yeah i think uh yeah that was another thing that was missing from this article was just there's like an assumption that green party voters would have gotten their policies across if they had only voted for gore but there's no actual assessment of what Nader or Gore's policies are. There's nothing just actually suggests (laughs) that that's necessarily true. It's just sort of assumed that, like, you know, well, Gore is somewhat on the left and Nader is somewhat on the left, so they must basically be for the same things. And obviously, you know, the article can't cover everything, but that would have been nice to at least have some sort of acknowledgement of that. But I will say too. In some ways, this is kind of the opposite of how I see the Stevenson-Eisenhower election. And I don't know, maybe someone who's an expert on that will tell me that that election did matter for some reason. But I, but I actually think that the 2000 election may have been the most important election of our lifetimes. I know people say that about every election, but I'm specifically mm-hmm. saying I think this one was because A... I mean, what what was Gore going to do? Like he just all he does is climate change stuff, pretty much. So I sure. mean, we that would have been interesting to see if if he had been elected, would he still have had that same sort of focus on climate change? Because that could have been important. And then the other thing we get is then obviously two thousand one, you get nine eleven, uh, and there's some mm. evidence to suggest that maybe nine eleven could have been prevented if Bush had taken the warnings more seriously. Not so. Again, like it's, we can't know any of this for sure. I'm not saying you know one way or another. I'm just pointing out the stuff that happened. And then you obviously have the backlash to 9/11, which is the invasion of Iraq. You know, would Gar have invaded Iraq? Maybe, maybe not. Um And then obviously now we're we're sort of still bogged down in the Middle East to some extent. I mean, we've we've kind of drawn out a little bit, but not fully. Um, Mm -hmm. And you get the recession at the end of Bush's presidency as well. Bush won the second term by like running on, you know, we can't change leaders in the middle of the war. So, I mean, you just think of (laughs) all those dominoes. So it's like, I actually sort of think this maybe was the most important election. If there, if you could say one election is the most important, which I think could raise an argument that maybe either Nader should have dropped out or people, should, you know, again, not everyone who voted for Nader would have voted for Gore, but maybe if, if anyone was in that sort of position, but so I don't know, this is sort of to me, this is sort of an interesting case there. Where it's like, if you believe voting for third party, I think this is the, the one you have to sort of look at to uh-huh. sort of say, or maybe, you know, 2020. <laughs> I don't know if yeah. 2020 well, was most important or not, but it's like two things about that. One, I have just sort of pulled up Nader's,
0: I'll just read this line, the line here. Nader campaigned against the pervasiveness of corporate power and spoke on the need for campaign finance reform. His campaign also addressed problems with the two-party system, voter fraud, environmental justice, universal health care, affordable housing, free education, including college, workers' rights and increasing the minimum wage to a living wage. He also focused on this three-strike rule exoneration for prisoners uh, for drug-related nonviolent crimes, legalization of commercial hemp, and a shift in tax policies to place the burden more heavily on corporations and on the middle and lower classes. He opposed pollution credits and giveaways of publicly owned assets. So, you know, listen, uh, I might have voted Nader. But also, like, people were sort of worried about the well-being of gays and lesbians, minorities and the poor, and women in organized labor. But, like, the, so the next time we got a democrat was obama who wouldn't even acknowledge gay people until like 2013 or something sure. <laughs> so like yeah maybe like they wouldn't be as actually harmful but like they're not I, I mean gore may or may not have been better than obama at this if he was in the seat but like it's not like they're like sticking their neck out and like really being like these huge champions they're trying to be like as milquetoast middle of the road as possible to get them votes and then once they like they can't get elected again then they'll be like oh yeah i got three years i can maybe try to do something but like guantanamo still open.
1: Mhm. I guess I'll just say for me at least that you know when we're talking about voting I guess we could talk about what we did if you want but uh I vo- I did end up voting for Biden this time around in 2020 after I voted I voted green last time and I think there's a number of reasons for that. One uh without saying too much I do live I, I live in a swing state for this election whereas I did not for last one and I also do think Trump pretty much just encouraging his supporters to execute people in the streets if they were suspicious of them for
0: now, now, now <laughs> we're still standing back and standing by. We haven't even given the order yet. Don't, you don't know what, what we're waiting to be told to do. So let's not jump ahead. Of
1: I do think that was, you know, something where, you know, maybe this intent, if we think about what elections matter, like I said, I think, I would be curious if you could, you know, somehow teleport Du Bois to 2020 to see if he would still sort of have that same question of, you know, if you're voting for this person, why if you're voting for that person, why? Because I don't think, you know, with Stevenson and Eisenhower, if anything, they seem to sort of just be too noncommittal. I mean, I'm sure we would, uh, you know, from our 2020 view, we would look and just, you know, say that they're being racist or whatever. I mean, they, I'm not, def- <laughs> I'm not saying that they weren't racist, but I think it seemed, I, I, I'm not in Du Bois' head either, but it seemed like a lot of what he was talking about was just people, uh, you know, candidates being too noncommittal committal or and things like that. But one thing you can't say about Trump is that he's noncommittal. committal Like you could, you could definitely oh, see absolutely. where where Trump was standing on. Uh, racism. So I do wonder uh, if even Du Bois maybe would have thought twice about about not voting. But uh, in general, I mean, I, I'll just say I, I think people who don't live in swing states, I think you if you support a third party, I don't really think there's much reason not to vote for them. Again, this election was a little bit weird because of Trump also Saying that he was going to steal the election, <laughs> so I think there was some motivation well, no. for people who uh, didn't live in swing states to still just try and overwhelm the system. But Ted, go ahead. I'm pretty sure
0: the Biden crime family stole the election.
1: If I'm hearing this <laughs> right from select news press conferences,
0: but uh, I mean personally, I went. I I was also a Jill to Joe pipeline uh, <laughs> from 2016 to 2020, but I am not in a swing state however i was sort of i was on of the sort of later thing of like listen like trump's already going to be way too salty ab- about it so like i just got to like make sure there's like not anywhere close to a question for the fact that he got his poop pushed in
1: they he his what How
0: the election he got his poop pushed in <laughs>
1: i kind of thought that you said but
0: <laughs> I, really, I thought that's what you said. I was really hoping that if I asked you again you'd say anything else, but you just said it twice. So, you
1: know, overall, I think I, I think there is some sort of maybe calculation to be made between voting your conscience and maybe treating your vote a little bit more strategically. I, I honestly I think 9 times out of 10 the election doesn't have drastic impact on the direction of the country i mean honestly even trump's first term didn't really have a that too drastic of an impact on sort of you know the american project broadly conceived but i think the uh mm-hmm. perhaps legitimate fear was just that i mean and another obviously you know it almost goes without saying but is actually worth saying is that we're in the middle of this pandemic that trump has completely botched and in some ways this is literally a life or death choice i mean i not that you know i'm a fan of biden but i do think he would handle this uh pandemic a lot better than trump if Mm -hmm. even if it's just something as simple as not questioning the effectiveness of masks would go probably a long way obviously there's a lot more you could do, you know, the fact that he doesn't support universal health care is going to kill a lot of people, but, um, there's, you know, Uh there's just a lot of reasons that I, this election you could argue has, uh, some significance that other ones don't necessarily have. And and so in that way too, I, I think these artifacts sort of pair well, they're sort of a contrast of elections and also sort of, ways to think about elections as well. I mean, at, at the end, you know, I'm sort of, vote for whoever you want. I mean, I mean, don't vote for Republicans, but vote for vote for. Just whoever you want. Just please go
0: out and vote. I don't care who you vote for, as long as it's not Republican, just vote for whoever. Yeah. Just go out and vote. Voting's important, not Republican.
1: I don't vote shame anyone except for if you vote Republican or Libertarian, then I will vote shame you. Oof. But, um, but yeah, so I, yeah, I mean... You know as long as you are I think you probably should vote um, overall not Republican. <laughs> yeah um, only assuming it's relatively left yeah <laughs> yeah I mean again, like I think it's your right not to vote. and I do think you should be able to, <laughs> you should be able to exercise that right, but overall, I, I think more often than not it's at least in your interest to to vote but uh but I do think you should. Vote for who you want to, not necessarily who you think you should vote for. But that's just my two cents, so do whatever you want. Just don't vote Republican.
0: Yeah, do whatever you want as long as you vote left.
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, you could, if you want to vote Libertarian, I guess, you know...
0: I, mean, I was going to say, I can listen. <laughs> now, they're not all pedophiles. They're just sort of pedophile-adjacent, so it's fine.
1: I mean, it's, it's a stupid vote, but at least you're not uh, at risk of doing too much harm to anyone with the vote, so...
0: True. Except for the legal age of consent. Other than that, a harm.
1: <laughs> I just mean they're not going to win, so. Oh, yeah, sure. Alright, we've been on this for a while, so. Okay.
0: Yeah, we're, uh, libertarians deserve a safe room, too.
1: <laughs> All right, Alex. Now that we're in the safe room, what do you have on your mind?
0: So, on my mind, we're back. We're back at it again in the uh, workplace. Um, not necessarily etiquette, I guess, but just it's so much better for me personally and for everybody. Because I'm correct to have malicious and like shitty coworkers that are bad people, but good coworkers, than to have more affable but full wholly incompetent co-workers if you ever have to be like how's this person like well she's nice run for the hills like it's not like it's not it because even if you're shitty and like you're like a bad person or you're like a dick or like a pain in the ass like personality wise like you're but you can like get your job done and not get in my way that's so much better than like someone being like yeah, how was your weekend? But then, like, I have to, like, come in an hour later and do all the work that you should have been doing because you're, like, bad at your job. Like, I would rather you be, like, a dick and good at your job than a nice person that's bad at your job because, like, we're not friends. Co-workers are coworkers first, always. Friendliness and, like, friendship is such, is, like, I you're, you gotta be there anyways. Like It's such a bad, useless thing to, like, hang your hat on. It is, like, exclusively like a labor contract, like, don't ever let anybody get it twisted. <laughs> Just keep the priorities straight. I mean, that's the long and short of it. I can't stand when I, like, am, like, roasting a coworker with somebody else that, like, I'm, like, cool with. And they're also a good worker. And they're like, yeah, but she's, like, cool. And she was nice. Like, you know, like whatever. Like, I don't give it. Like, that's not... Don't is a bad defense. It's such a shitty, useless thing to say. It's kind of like, well, yeah, but, like, sure... Trump won the electoral college, but Hillary got more popular votes. I don't get, who gives a fuck? It's not, that's not what we're doing right now. <laughs> maybe it should be important, but, like, not what we're doing right now. If we work at a co-op, maybe, but, like, not, It's not what's happening right now. Like, this is minimum wage, and she's, like, making me work harder. Especially if it's, like, upper management. Like, the like the higher up and the dumber you are, which is sort of seems to coalesce a lot, but, like, it's just a bad look. Like, if you have an incompetent manager, like, there's nothing worse in the world. And an incompetent nice manager i would rather you like you have like the tightest scheduling and like everything's ordered needs to be and also like anytime i see you, you're just like fuck you like that's fine i'll take that i'll take that every day of the week <laughs> and ask me how my weekend is but you have me two days that i'm supposed to be scheduled off like working for like 12 hour shifts. like I, it's just
1: it's all uh, right it depends on the job i no. think for well I'll just, for, for 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 like a lower level entry job or basically if it's a job that you yeah I'm mean not disparaging any jobs but if it's a job that you don't care as much about or are, are comfortable leaving at, at the drop of a pin then I yeah I totally agree that malicious that is should be better. Every job
0: <laughs> our labor is the capital dude you don't understand
1: well whatever we don't have to derail ourselves i think there's other ways to imagine work that you know we're not we don't have right now but you know so anyway but um fair enough in that case where it's a job you don't care about then yes i'll take malicious because you can always buck back and you can always sure you know they tell you mop the floor whatever and you can sort of be like Pay me more money or whatever. Like, I don't know. (laughs) You owe me money, dude. (laughs) I guess I'm sort of assuming that any maliciousness will be associated with some level of incompetence that you can exploit. I mean, I do think that you know you could always risk of you know fighting back and then they get rid of you or whatever. So I'm not saying you should always do that because I I think incompetence can sort of be nice too if if there's like a certain level of stability. Because like I do also. Like you can sort of take advantage of a situation where the person just is not really paying attention, you know? Oh,
0: exploitable incompetence is a godsend. But, yeah. like, if it's if it's harming your ability to work or giving you more work to do, inexcusable.
1: Yeah. But, I mean, yeah, I, I do sort of agree with your overall point that sort of, like, being nice or perceived as nice or whatever is definitely overrated. And, you know, at the end of the day, you're there to get paid. I mean... Hopefully you don't hate your job just because you have to spend some, uh, you know, amount of time there. Yeah, but you know, your job doesn't have to be like some sort of wellness moment for you or something necessarily. Uh-huh. Like it can just be something that you do to survive, and then when you leave is when you do the things that you want to do for yourself. Like I think that's also fine.
0: What's your uh, what What do you got, Justin? What's your safe room, bud?
1: My safe room is that you should say what you mean, or alternatively, a case for radical honesty to protect the innocent. Here, I'm going to change these stories a bit. So these are these are not true stories, and they also. I I wouldn't do this stuff during COVID anyway, so so yeah, I'll just say they're (laughs) not true. They they get across the same intention as true stories, as they're based on true stories in that way, but you can start thinking about them as uh, analogies or whatever if you want. But so in one, uh, so these, these involve some of my friends, and in one, we were trying to get together to play a board game, and one friend... Basically, was just like saying he didn't want to come. to a test that he had to study for the next day, and you know, it's like fine, whatever. And then, but then the next week, it's like yeah, we still want to try out this board game, though. And and then he would just say, oh, I have another test this week, and then just like week after week of being like, oh, I you know I want to join you for this board game, but you know I have a test tomorrow, I just can't do it it's like okay like at some point you know we're not stupid it's like all right obviously this person is right. just avoiding us <laughs> but you know but yeah. at the same time we don't care enough to like you know cause like a scene over it's just like all right you know whatever he doesn't want to play i guess and then but then finally like i don't even know by like three months later or whatever we're just like yeah remember when you were like lying about having all those tests and then <laughs> that and then he finally submits like yeah he didn't actually ever want to play the game because he thought you know he didn't think he was busy. He didn't think he'd be like good enough at it or something. And it's like, right. just say that then. It's like, <laughs> yeah, it's so obvious that like you didn't have a test every week. Like what, like, <laughs> there's no reason to like pretend that you did. But, uh, and then there right. was another one where we had all agreed to go to a restaurant together. Like we're like, all right, like next week, let's go to this restaurant. And then the day before and we're just like, all right, we still good to go to this restaurant. And then all of a sudden one of my friends is like, um, no, actually, I think I want to go to this other restaurant instead. It's like, again, it's like yeah. one situation. It's like, I, like, I don't really care what, which restaurant we go to, but also like, like just what happened. Like we I mean, had all agreed right. to this. Like why all of a sudden, how are you like, you know, so in favor of going to this other restaurant and then you know so we just we go to that restaurant and then later i had another friend tell me like oh like basically what happened is he knew he like met this girl that was working at a waitress at the other restaurant and he was hoping <laughs> that she would be there i mean she wasn't even on shift that night so like it didn't even matter again it's like just say that like i'm not going to like judge you for that or whatever like i Dude, it's not it doesn't really affect me i'm still getting food either way like so right. yeah i think that just like your point in these stories is just that um yeah i think this sort of like obfuscation just sort of it doesn't help anything with mm-hmm. one caveat i will say i do think another place we see this often is like in the dating world where uh, you know, people will be like, oh, you know, they'll be like, oh, you want to get dinner, and the person will be like, I, right, I'm I'm working a night shift or whatever, and they're they're just not. But I do appreciate <laughs> that you know there's always risk of you know how's this person going to handle rejection? Are they going to like become right. violent or whatever? So I'm not saying like never lie. I'm not saying like you know you have to tell the truth even if it's going to put you in like immediate danger or something like that. <laughs> so you know you know there's like, a limit to the sort of radical honesty, but overall you know if it's not gonna necessarily put you in danger like there's not a reason to like just be erring on the side of lie and deny like you gotta like consider what the stakes are and if the stakes are just like maybe your friend teases you for a second like that's not really like a great (laughs) reason
0: or is it the only reason
1: Well, it's like you gotta think of the trade off too. It's like now I think that you're a liar. Like I can just tell you're lying, right. and like also either I'll just go on thinking you're a liar, or eventually I'm gonna call you out, and then you're gonna have to right. tell the truth anyway. So it's like, what are you really gaining out of the situation?
0: Or do you just deny it to the bitter end and sort of burn all bridges behind you without ever looking back proudly, gleefully?
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, again, you could do that, but then you're gonna be out of friends at some point because it's just like. It's like, yeah, remember, like, that dude who was really weird and kept saying he had a test every <laughs> single week? Like, whatever happened to that Oh, <laughs> yeah, we, like, stopped hanging out with him. Like, that's just how it's, that's right. going to end. So it's like, is that really, like, worth whatever benefit you think you're going to get from that? But, you know, overall, I think we can just, like, make a new, like, we just need to establish, like, better cultural norms around this where it's, like, we're, I think we're just afraid of, like, causing even, like, momentary conflict or abrasion. So it's like, you're right. just trying to like avoid it. But it's like, like the example I sort of came up with to sort of illustrate this is just like, don't like just walk up to someone and be like, uh, I think your haircut sucks. But like, if someone were to like, <laughs> ask you, like, what do you think of my haircut? Like, there's not a reason to like, just give in to your impulse and be like, oh, it's good. Even though it sucks. Like, like you're both going right. to benefit long term if you're just like honest in like those types of situations. So. That's if a,
0: anybody ever asks you for your opinion and it's a negative one, you need is your right and like your duty to go nuclear because then the answer, is was like, "Listen, you ass bro. Like, I don't. know, I wasn't gonna say shit about your dumb haircut. You ask, you look like a fucking piece of shit. Like you got absolutely beat up by a gang of lawnmowers, dude. That's not on me. You ass bro.
1: I'm not even going that far. So you gotta go go nuclear. Yeah, just be if honest. They ask
0: you." No, if they ask you and they give you that, and you the perfect defense is you ask. No, Justice. All right. You've you run out of nuance. You're wrong now. Nah. No. no. <laughs> fuck them up. Absolutely <laughs> fuck them up when they ask for your opinion. Make them regret asking for your opinion,
1: honestly. <laughs> all right. We, we'll, we diverge there. We diverge there. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, to me, it's just about um, having, you know, new. Like I said, cultural norms where it's like you know we gotta break out of this cycle of just like being like polite lies or even just yeah some of these lies are not even necessarily like polite lies. I don't know what they (laughs) they really are, but just like just this knee jerk like air on the side of like lying. Like yeah, I don't know. Right. That's our show for this week. See the show notes for a link to view the artifacts for yourself and uh, to view the end notes as well. Artwork
0: by JAS
1: Art Studios and Music produced by Nicholas Gizuza. Rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts, follow us on Facebook, and tell a friend or enemy about the show. And join us again in three weeks as we find two new texts to discuss. I don't know if at the end of hearing us talking for 45 minutes of what people are waiting on is our more hot takes from us it's like man i wish i could just get three more hot takes from each of them (laughs) oh maybe but maybe
0: (laughs) but maybe (laughs) well it would be things that were you know weren't long enough to justify safe room but still need to be said and i think i get so well (laughs) i'm gonna use these now because it's not gonna be Relevant. Was, these are very topical for the episode. We don't have to air. I just want your opinion on these. What 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 would you have said if this was a you know a standard part of the podcast? Ready? Okay. Overrated, underrated, the electoral college.
1: Uh, underrated, I guess. That's a, it's your call. I don't know what your opinion
0: is. Overrated, underrated, or perfectly rated. Those are your three options.
1: Or, or so perfectly, oh, I not know. College. Perfectly rated was an option. Um. Uh, maybe I'll go perfectly rated. And
0: the first black Asian female VP.
1: Overrated.
0: Kissing your granddaughter on the lips.
1: Kissing your grand... Uh, at, a, just, at, at a
0: political convention.
1: <laughs> Are you talking about specifically Joe Biden?
0: I was, yes, that's the...
1: <laughs> well, I'm just saying, cause, I because mean, I feel like it depends... <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: Kissing your granddaughter on the lips at a public, a publicly televised event <laughs> while running for president.
1: Um, I'll say underrated. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you want to speak on that?
1: Uh, I feel like no one is in favor. Well, I feel like not really anyone is in favor of it, and so, but it's not like the worst thing in the world. So, definitionally, it is underrated.